Hey everyone, thank you for listening to Theosophia, a platform for women's voices in theology and religion. This week we have the privilege of hearing from Becca Stevens. Becca is the founder of Thistle Farms, an Episcopal priest and CNN hero. She is a leader, speaker, and author. Becca is an incredible force of love and healing and is working to raise up women all over the globe. Today we discuss mentoring and community. Becca, we love you. Here we go. the privilege to be talking with Becca Stevens this morning and Becca and I have been friends and Becca you are a mentor of my life you know for a few years now and um and so hi and welcome welcome on the show thank you for having me I'm so so glad to be connecting with you again Kelsey it's 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 a joy for me yeah, I miss you very much. Um, and, and it was a joy to Nashville get Nashville misses you. Nashville yeah. misses you. And I know you're doing great work out there in California. I know Sarah's doing great work. But you guys, your um, handiwork is still being felt. I mean, whether it's in the young adult group or just justice issues folks are working on, your name comes up all the time. Mm, well, thank you, Becca. And you know, you, you and your ministry and, you know, all that you are in the world continues to have a huge impact on, on both Sarah and I. And so it's a joy to get to sit down for, for a few minutes and hear from you. And, um, you know, your presence is, is both, you know, on the feet on the ground and also, um, you know, across social media and, and all things virtual. And, you know, last week, <laughs> Last week, I mean, you're all over the world, girl, but um, last week I was, I was looking at your Instagram and there's this beautiful photo of you when you were first ordained, you know, a little over 25 years ago. And, and some of your commentary underneath the photo really struck me because, you know, you talk about feeling longing and hope and, and really the first seeds of your dream of living into a loving community. And, and you share, you know, your deep gratitude for people along the along the journey and along the way who who you say forgave your mistakes and helped you to form communities that you're now finding a home place in, like Thistle Farms and St. Augustine's and Larkspur and the Center for Contemplative Justice. And you know, you continue to have just this incredible healing impact on the world. And and so I'm curious if if you would be willing to share, you know, who are those people that had the impact on your life that helped shape you and, and who you are today? Mm. You know, I think all of us who are going through it, the spiritual journey that we're on, you know, our mentors are probably both people we encounter and then kind of saints that we read about and stories that are passed down to us. So I would say I have all of that. I think I remember in Divinity School over at Vanderbilt, where you graduated from. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember when I first started reading about Dorothy Day and about how she started with a bowl or, you know, whatever, a pot of soup 
during the Depression, and that was some of the beginning roots of the Catholic worker movement. I loved her sense of humor. I loved her commitment. I loved her um, just bravery, her honesty. There was so much about her I loved. And then I took a trip to New York, and I went to where um, the Catholic worker movement was, and I saw the chapel that she worshipped in, and it was really simple. You know, when you go to so many places, and, and one of the patrons, they built this huge cathedral, you know, with gilded chalices and all this stuff, and it was like, oh, my gosh, she still had folding chairs. And that was really a great reminder to me that I wanted to have a mission and a church was fine, but that wasn't, I was never going to build a church. And that felt like it was really freeing and hopeful to me. And then I would say that um, there was, you know, my mother who was the director of a community center. And I always thought she was very pastoral. She was a nurse by training. She was the director of a community center. And the ministry was so practical and hands-on and so not dogmatic. And that had a big impact on me. And then I would say that there were, you know, obviously a couple professors, both men and women, who were just so beautifully freeing in their theology and in their practice that, that I loved that. And I remember my very first um, field education supervisor was Donna Scott. And she was a patient, patient listener. And, you know, I would talk about some of my own brokenness and issues. And she would just listen. She wasn't trying to fix it. She wasn't trying to correct it. She gave me enough respect not to try to give me answers. And in that space, I think I began to write a story that was more healing. And finally, of course, my spouse, Marcus, who was on this journey the whole time we met at Divinity School, I mean, he forgave me a bajillion times for all the craziness that we all went through. But it was like, he was a writer. He knew from the beginning he was a writer. And he, no matter what he was doing, he was writing. And that was huge for me to go like, oh my gosh, you have to carve out the space to be the writer that you think you are, no matter what. Mm. But those are some of the folks who I really just love, love, love with my whole heart. Mm. That's wonderful, and and I love um, I love what I hear in that and and the practicality. And it, it sounds like that this stuff all starts with with a tiny seed. You know, you talked about Dorothy Day and just one bowl of soup, and that that one bowl of soup eventually grew into a movement, a healing movement for so many people, and continues to influence people like yourself today. And, and I'm wondering in your ministry um, and in your work in the world, you know, what, what's been that one, one seed for you? Where does it start? Well, you know, it was when I got ordained, I, I had a baby two weeks later. Um, and it was all, it's all kind of a blur. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I kind of try, I kind of remember it. And I kind of think like, what was I doing? I don't even remember really all of it, but I know that pretty early on there was this chapel opening at, at Vanderbilt University called St. Augustine's Chapel, a little A-frame chapel right on Fraternity Row, and there was nobody that went to the chapel. There was, I think the Sunday that I went to visit, there were six people that were there, and I was like, 
this could be a space I could build and dream whatever I wanted. Nobody would really kind of, I mean, nobody knows what college chaplains do anyway, right? <laughs> so I thought, oh my gosh, I can like, I can start dreaming really about what a sanctuary for women looks like. I can have health insurance for my family. I can meet some students that might want to dream with me. All of those things seem like a possibility in that sweet little space. And if, you know, having the time and the space, I think are the biggest gifts you can give somebody that is still trying to discern. That is huge. And I, you know, and it was a salary. So all those things were there and I was like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And it was there that I started really dreaming about how, how we could open just my cup of soup was one house for five women called Thistle Farms. You know, we were calling it Magdalene at the time, but it became Thistle Farms and just invited five women who I'd met. I've been doing feeding programs, jail programs, five women that had this criminal history of trafficking, addiction, prostitution, just said, what if you just came and lived for two years, no rent, no authority in the house. And we just tried to make a community together. And that was the beginning of it. So my cup of soup was one little house on the street I lived on with five women coming in. Mm. Mm. That's, that's powerful stuff. And, and I, and I know from being around you um, that, that you, you teach that it's, it's also loving one woman at a time. And so this huge complex issue of, you know, of, human trafficking or addiction or things that can be so overwhelming for, for many of us that really what the, the cup of soup is, is just, it's one woman at a time. And then once that woman comes in, it's about going and getting the next woman. And, and so the mission is profound, but it's also, like you said, there's time and space and it's a slow mission as well. Um, and so, so what, what type of advice would you offer to an overwhelmed world? Who, who well, just to- don't believe I would, this is, I mean, I know the answer to that is don't believe what you see when you swipe left. Like that's not the only news. There's tons of people that want to hope with you. There's tons of people that want to dream and be community and want to love each other. I mean, the gift of being out in this world. And I mean, I've been gone most of this year so far, you know, whether it was in Rwanda or Ecuador or across the U.S., I'm calling you from Texas right now, um, Belize, Mexico, you know, all these folks, you know, you get there and people are welcoming and they're like, let's build a house, let's do this, let's try to raise money for this, let's go find this, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me how much good news there is. Mm. You know, and so that's the very first thing is like, don't just know that there are so many people who want to hope and love with you. And Kelsey, what I'm thinking about when you're talking and just hearing your voice again, it makes me remember, we went to a little coffee shop. This was about probably, I don't know how long ago, maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting on cushions in a coffee shop. And I was like, you know, I could you were just, you were, you know, you're just a brilliant young theologian, full of love, full of hope. You can, everybody that's listening to this podcast, if, even if they're not, you, they don't know you, they can hear it in your voice, your compassion. And I remember sitting down with you and going like, tell me what it is that the next steps are so that I can be a part of your team. 
Mm. And that's what I think. I don't think people need mentors who say, okay, here's the answer and here's the four steps of theology that will fulfill your life. I think people need that have all those gifts in them. It's just a team that says, we're for you. Mm. That's right. I, I remember I remember that coffee shop um, conversation with you like it was yesterday and we had our cups of tea and we were lounging. I think we were sitting on the ground with a bunch of pillows around us and <laughs> <laughs> and it was just it was just this beautiful moment because um, you're right it's it's organic and it's relational right and and you that's exactly what you asked is just you I think you remember I remember you asking me you know what do you love and what's your dream? And, and I talked with you for like an hour and then you listened patiently. And at the end of that hour, you said, okay, how can I join you in this? What do you need? And it was just this incredible um, moment for me with you and seeing what, what loving mentorship really feels like. And, and from that conversation, you know, our young adult ministry um, really came into the next phase. And now it's like busting at the seams, you know, and um, you offered the space to me as, as one of the mentors of my life to be able to have the freedom to, to try some stuff on and make some mistakes and learn, learn along the way. Um, you know, one of my favorite moments with you is being in the chapel and coming into the Episcopal church later in life. And I think it was good Friday or something. And I blew out, I blew out the wrong candle and you just kind of quietly were like, just go back into the sacristy and relight it because we don't blow that candle out. And it was just this <laughs> moment of I think like, it's like the reserve sacraments or something. Yeah, it was, I do remember that. It was something oh like, you really are not supposed to mess this up on this day. And I totally messed it up. And you just kind of looked at me and we giggled and I was like, all right, I'll just go make it right. So, um, but that's what I hear what you're talking about, Becca, is, is loving mentorship that's, that's also mutual, you know, that we're in it together and that we're, we're teammates on this journey. Yeah. It's got to be like, especially for, I believe, for young women exploring theology and ministry, it's like, find the people who are for you and remember that this journey is it's a it's you know and this is you know it's a non-competitive journey it's not a sport <laughs> you know and I know for you that that resonates because <laughs> you know competitive sports but it's like oh my god there's room for all of us to explore together and be for each other mm. you know and not te tear each other down before we even you know I don't know I'm so sick of church dogmatics that I could you know, that's the part that's just like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. But I love, you know, that we can be just dogged about loving each other, dogged about, you know, saying we got to find opportunities for each other. And, it, you know, and I know that yours carried you and Heather across the country to find that space. And I think that's the other thing is, you know, for all of us is like, it doesn't mean that we're always going to be together and stay close. It's like there can be moments where people and mentors can pass through. And then the next 
person can step in and then the next person and then you'll be stepping you I know you've stepped in for many people and we pass through each other's lives mm-hmm. and we we pass through each other's lives and um and yet we carry each other with us right I mean I'm sitting here in California and I have a thistle farm shirt on you know and it's it's no coincidence I wear it all the time um, and, and everything, they're, they're I, amazing shirts. That's they, why they're, they're go, very soft. Go buy one. Um, and, but, but, but it's, you know, and every time I light a candle, Becca, I mean, I think of you and I think of the chapel and the women of Thistle Farms and everything that, that you have been in my life to form me into who I am today. You know, I carry you with me. And that is the spiritual gift of really having a loving impact on each other's lives. Um, you know, theologically, I think about the road to Emmaus as, as a perfect example of what it is that you're talking about. I mean, Jesus is, it's post-resurrection. You know, the two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem and, and God joins them. You know, Jesus joins them on the road. They get to Emmaus, they break bread together. Their hearts are burning. And then Jesus disappears. And it's like, oh my God, what just happened? You know, but that is the spiritual mm-hmm. journey of, of accompanying one another for the time that we have. Mm. You know, and I love, I love, um, there's so much about that story that I love, but I do love the idea that it isn't forever. It's for a moment. And that moment is eternal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, that love is eternal and it's a passing moment, both and. That's right. And I think, you know, that I hope for, I hope, you know, as you are mentoring, and I know you are, other people on their theological, spiritual paths, that, you know, we always find our place in that story somewhere, whether it's in the road to Emmaus or whether it's the story after that where, you know, Jesus says to Peter, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And it says, you know, I'll pull you in places you don't even know you want to go. Finding yourself in that story on this journey is important too. Is like, you know, the forgiveness and the pulling in different directions. And, you know, for me, the story I found myself in when I was really going through the whole discernment process was, I remember it, like when I was thinking about it and doing all a bunch of not that I still don't feel this way because that part of myself is still there but I remember what I saw myself was like sitting on the hillside in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and I was just one of a huge huge crowd sitting there and being so surprised that there was enough for me Mm. and I thought oh my god that's how I feel I feel like in, in the midst of the masses of people calling out and hunger, there was still enough for me. And I was so grateful. Mm. It's beautiful. Like I'll take it. Well, it's true. It's beautiful. And you know, that, that gratitude that you carry and and the abundance that I hear, um, you know, that that's something that I've watched you continue to give away over and over and over again. You know, you, you're such a beautiful example of, of what it means to receive the gifts of God and then to share them with everyone. 
um, you know, I will always remember the moment um, we were getting, we were, we were quote unquote vesting in the narthex space of, of Benton Chapel where there's no sacristy, there's no barrier between, you know, people coming in for church and people who are, are going to help lead the worship. And it's this beautiful space of where church, I think, is really happening. You know, uh, Mama Moo's bringing her eggs and there's kids running around and people are <laughs> laughing and hugging and kissing. And, um, you know, you're trying to get your album and it's like halfway on, halfway off. And um, it's just this beautiful chaos of what it means to be in loving community. And I remember that there was this time that there were not enough albs to go around. And, and you, you, I didn't have an alb. And so I just wasn't going to, you know, participate in worship and it was okay. And, and you looked at me and you took off your album, you gave it to me and you said, it's all right. I'll just, I can just wear my stole. And I'll always remember that moment of, of you sharing, um, such a, such a sacred, meaningful object in our church with me, but literally divesting yourself of the very gift that you've been given. And, and I'll just always remember that moment as, as that's what leadership looks like. And that's what it means to be a Christian in the world is, is to give the gifts back out that we've been given. Wow. I feel like I need to send you an alb or something. I don't remember <laughs> that, but, <laughs> but I'm happy to send you like a couple albs if you still don't have one. Um, that is like nothing. I would give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but that's, I would. that's, and I know you, you need would. Money? Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a list of things I need later. So that's um, what I, that's what I would want from that. That's so, I'm so glad that happened though. And I love, I never even thought about the fact that, you know, I know we don't have a sacristy in there and it's always kind of chaotic, but I love that the idea that that's a good thing, not like mm-hmm. a hard thing. No, it's how we frame stuff, right? Yep. It is, it is how we frame it and um, our perspective, you know, really matters on it. And I just see that like that, it's like holy chaos, you know, before church. And we're all sort of trying to rush to get lined up at the right time to go in, you know, and the hymns have already started and, and, you know, we're still having (laughs) a conversation. Um, But that, but that is, that is real and that is authentic and it creates that space that you were talking about earlier. Um, to be able to discern and to show up exactly as we are, you know, and I think we need more of that. I do too. And I love that. I really am grateful that you and Sarah came through the chapel about the same time and that you both are these beautiful theologians Mm -hmm. spreading the good news of God's just, I don't know, lavish love in this world. And, you know, it's not that we have to have everything figured out. It's not that we have to like know exactly what it is we believe, but when we can, when we can remember stuff like a closet as a holy ground, Mm. you know, we're going to be pretty grateful and we're going to be okay. If we can all keep just going back out and trying to love the world. I mean, our theology will come if we can do the loving part. Mm. It's so good. And that's so good. And Becca, the, the last question I'll ask, ask you before we, we close our time together is, you know, for, for the rising generation, um, you know, for us youngers in the world that, 
that are looking looking up to leaders like yourself you know um what's what's your wisdom for or your advice for how to pursue being mentored you know because it can be a vulnerable ask um and kind of an awkward thing also you know and and so what's your wisdom for the rising generation to to find the relationships with people like yourself I don't know that I've ever mentored anybody that's asked me to be their mentor. <laughs> it's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like going, ah, I don't know. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, so I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that, but I will say that um, ah, the church needs the rising generation of new theologians and, you know, Seeking friendship out and relationship out is the way to go, I think. Um, to say, you know, we, you know, we, you were willing to work, work alongside me and be a part of that. And that helps, you know, if you're doing, to me, common work bonds people faster than anything. Like, I don't want to sit in a room once a week doing a formal mentorship because then I think, oh my gosh, you know, the pressure to be wise is too much. And I got nothing. I got nothing. But if we are working side by side on, you know, prison ministry, getting food together for the, you know, folks coming in who are staying, who don't have houses in the chapel or on our thistle farms, you know, gift cards for youth, we're make, writing out cards. All of a sudden you begin to share stories and then I'm best, I'm invested and mm -hmm. want to go like, okay, I need to help her on the next step. Let's go. Let's do this. That works good for me, but I don't know how other people work. That sounds, that sounds pretty darn good to me too. Um, which All is right. why, which is why I'm so grateful and grateful to be in this work with you, Becca. I love you. Thank you so much. Come home soon. I will. You and Heather have to come visit soon. We will. We'll be back. Y'all can, can come stay at our house. Sounds like a plan and all a, I'll make you that list of things that I need and send it to you. Perfect. Love, love. Love you, Becca. Talk to you soon. Bye. You are listening to the Theosophia podcast. Thank you so much, Mother Becca, for taking the time to share your wisdom and love on the pod today. I love you and miss you so much, and I'm so dang grateful that our paths crossed for those three years that I was in Nashville, and thank you for all you do for women and those on the margins in the world. You're such an amazing example of living out the gospel. Kelsey and I couldn't have asked for a better mentor, teacher, and friend. Thank you, Becca. Y'all join us next week for my conversation with Dr. Christine Karen Gebhardt. She's the director of the Gender Relations Center at the University of Notre Dame. Christine was one of my mentors and colleagues during my time working in the athletics department at Notre Dame and was a huge part of why I decided to go back to school to pursue a career in theology in the church. Please visit us on all the social media platforms and share with us about your mentors. Who's been someone that's given you life and made you a better human? See y'all next week. Peace.